Don't you just want to tarry in his presence for a minute? Isn't God wonderful? I wrote on Facebook this morning, I was on my way to Windover Hills, and I just, I just asked for people to pray that God would love on some people this morning. Wouldn't it be just something that if you could just really understand, much as we love and adore him, we can't even get close to how much God is trying to love on us. Tell us he loves you this morning. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know what divine providence has brought us together. But I sense God's wanting to do something in your heart, in my heart this morning. A couple Sundays ago, or last Sunday, I, I kind of left you with the helplessness of man, ravaged by the problem of sin, has ravaged the human race. Yet one simple prayer request, God just reaches down and delivers. This morning I, I want to start where I left out because I don't know if you understand the hurting condition of so many people around us. And I, wouldn't be, I would be shocked if there's not a percentage of people even represented here this morning that there's some pain, there's some emotional hurt, there's some lostness, there's some shame, there's some things that's eating people on the inside. And I want to take you to a place. I want to take you to a place that we find in the story of Nicodemus that I believe is an incredible place that God wants to take you this morning. I start the, today just going to, to a, a story or a person tells a story. William Paul was a Canadian by birth. He had missionary parents. And while he was on the mission field in New, New Guinea, there was, he was actually sexually abused by some of the natives there. And then he was sent back to America to a boarding school. And there in a Christian boarding school, once again, he was sexually abused. And, and then as he grew up through a life, he, he was a Christian. He attended church, but he was a mediocre Christian, just barely hanging on because he was married to Kim, his wife. And they were so close together, and she kind of pulled him along. But then... It, his life came to a miserable, shameful place. He'd been having an affair for three months with his wife's best friend. He said that as he was walking down the railroad tracks and he's almost screaming out to the wind, what should he do? Should he go back and try to find a way to find healing with his wife or should he just take his life and have it over with? William Paul Young wrote the book that has touched so many lives. It was his reaching out to his family and finding his place where God would bring him forgiveness. And you've probably read the book perhaps by now, maybe not understood every part of it, but the shack has touched many people's lives. But in that place of despair that he went to the shack to find some way that God would love him and give him that change. Well, that's where I want to take you this morning. I think there's some things that you know, need to know about God. If you're struggling with deliverance this morning, if you're struggling with shame, if you're struggling with failure, if you're struggling with recovery, if you're struggling with understanding why tragedies have happened in your life and you can't understand where and what this has happened to you or why, I believe today that God 
has a place that you can come to him. And if I would use the term of the shack, I would say to go to Papa's kitchen and let God love on you. For those of you that's read the book, that's, that's the place where in the kitchen is where God would cook and talk to the snack there. Well, okay, let's get into this story, though, because I find that in Nicodemus, in the second part, and reconnecting to the story, we find the church in a huge crisis, something that they didn't know how to deal with. Um, so often we read, we just think that, you know, once Pentecost came, the church just kind of just went along, everything was fine, and we sometimes don't get the struggles that's taking place. Do you know that God speaks to us in our struggles? As I was studying this, I thought of Wendover Hills. You know, this hasn't really been a good place the last year or so for you, but did you realize that even where you are right now, that God wants to do some incredible work in your lives and in your church? This isn't your church, this is his church. I just felt like in, to encourage you, I saw just a, 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 different problems, but yet I want you to see that it was in this, this terrible crisis in the church that John writes this wonderful letter that gives him guidance. You see what happened is, it's, a, it's an aging church, we're in the second and third generation. You see, up until this time, the church was basically built on they would, uh, the Jerusalem church, all the Christians would go up to the Jewish temple and they'd worship on Sunday morning or, or whenever they could worship, and then they would meet in small groups, and that's where the church grew, was in the small groups. Did you understand that? Well, Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem has been destroyed before this letter. And not only that, now the Jews have decided that Christians should be thrust out of their synagogue. And so you could no longer go up to the synagogue to worship. You were out there in your small groups, left out there all by yourself. And now what are you going to cling to? It seemed like your connection with, with the temple and God of Jerusalem and the God of the Jewish people has now left you. Now what God are you going to find? And John introduces him to the eternal God that is bigger than the God at Jerusalem. This is a story of their end of their relationship, but a new identity. And it's in that story that, that John says, but you remember when that professor of the religion of the Jewish people came to me by night and told me and, and said, what? And that's where I took you last week. And John began to share, said, and this, this professor, this Jewish person, actually became a great Christian. If you know the end of the story, you know that when Jesus was buried, it was, it was Nicodemus that pro provided all the expensive embalmment uh, ointments to be given to Jesus. Nicodemus became a powerful believer within the church of Jesus Christ. I want that type of thing to happen in every one of our lives. And what the new emphasis was, and I know Paul has written, and it isn't anti what has already been written, but he solidifies it down into a new con uh, into a more of a simple, closed concept, and I call it, he, it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. No place else in the scriptures are you going to find the terms over and over used that you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ninety-eight times in the book of John, or throughout his writings, he says, now you might find in Paul maybe five or six times you must believe. But in John he says over and over again, you must believe. Well, that's where I want to take you this morning as I come to this part of the story. And you'll remember it as Moses lifted up the bronze snake. 
on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, instead of going back to the Jewish customs or finding out what the church should be like from the past, so everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The basis that you must understand, there's one, there's a one foundation and everyone who believes on him, in him will have eternal life. And then he tells the most precious verse that is used throughout the church. You might learn it very early in your life. For God so loved the world, or God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Another place, just to pick up how John is using this idea of believing, he wrote these words. But these were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You can't go back on that. There is there, the, the, real, the real kingdom, the real God that's represented is Jesus, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you may have eternal life by the power in his name. You see, faith that we want to deal with you this morning it simply comes in that there's two sides to this believism. And I want to I deal with just one side, basically, because I think that's how it fits in, but it's something that maybe we struggle with at times. But both sides is this. Believing in Christ places the emphasis on lifestyle. Sometime we need to go there, because we really believe that if you really believe, your life is going to be changed. There's a power that comes into your life that's transformational, and it changes you. But it's what you believe that's so important. Believing that emphasizes that you must believe about Christ. And there's five, four things I want to give to you this morning. First of all, I believe that God is love. And love is how God chooses to reveal himself to the human race. You must believe this morning, not just in the all-power, sovereign God, but you must believe that God chooses to reveal himself as a God of love. Okay? John writes in one place, he says... Um, now we, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Now, in Christian circles, sometimes we get, we'd like to do all this apologetics and we do this reasoning. And one of the things that we'll say is say, well, you know, God is sovereign. He, he really created us. So He has the right to do whatever He wants to. And the answer is yes. And then you would go to the next square and you'd say, now because he's created, he has a right when you do wrong to be angry with you. And the answer is yes. And because of that, he has the right to bring judgment upon every person. And the answer is yes. But my, my, my proposition to you this morning is that you're asking the wrong question. The question should be this, how did God choose to reveal himself? Now, he has all the rights, and I want to tell you as a Christian, you have all types of rights, but when you become a believer in Christ Jesus, you learn how wonderful it is to give up those rights and to live like Jesus lives. Do you see that? I'm not arguing against those rights, but I want to say to you that God, you must believe that the main thing that God wants you to know about him, about him is that he loves you so much that he's willing to do everything possible to get you to heaven. You must know that. See, if you're up here praying and trying to struggle getting rid of your burden of sin and you have all these questions about who God really is, you're going to have sometimes struggle thinking, well, does, will God really accept me? But I want you to know this morning, I can say with all confidence, this is the basis of faith. You must know that God loves you and no matter what you can do, whether good or bad, you'll never change how much God loves you. God loves you this morning 
and he's revealed himself in that way. See, I, uh, I took Old Testament, not only Old Testament studies of the Old Testament, but also theology in the Old Testament, and it seemed like a lot of the professors get caught up in this idea that God is holy, and I believe that. Don't get me wrong. But God has always tried to reveal himself after every time he's brought just judgment, he has always revealed his everlasting righteousness and love and mercy. The whole idea is to bring you to the place that you can love God and God can love you in this unbelievable relationship. So that, okay, I just throw that out. And I, my, my son and I were talking today, and my father used to tell me, and he's picked this up now, he's throwing it at me. He said, you don't have to believe everybody's arguing with you. Now, sometimes when I hit the preach and I, I preach that way, you know, like, you've got an argument with me, and so I have to argue back. I'm not trying to argue with you this morning. I'm just trying to let you see how wonderful it is that faith is based on one thing. God loves you this morning. Therefore, you can come to him just like you are. I don't care who you are. There's not one person that God does not love here this morning. And that's the basis that you can come in faith. The second thing is this. God is light. Now, in the Nicodemus story, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but it says God's light came into the world, but the people loved darkness rather than light, and their, eyes, their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it or fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're doing, what God wants. Now, you see, what light is, it's, it's, it's something that's really precious if you're a Christian. This light begins to draw you to what is right in this world and what you should be doing. God is light, and he is literally shining into your heart the grace of God, even though you don't deserve it. God is already shining in, making you a better person than what you should be. That's called provenient grace, if you want to do it theologically. But this concept of light is so powerful. And I don't know, I can't get into all of it. I'm only going to get into one side of it because I want to talk about how you base your faith on this. But light is something that draws you. And, and I can't tell you, everyone, where they are spiritually. But you know how you are by how you walk in the light. That's another term of John. If you walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. It's, it's a very simple thing. You know, you don't have to go really deep. You just the simple krigma, the simple gospel. And if you're doing what you really know is right and you're doing the best you can, I want to tell you that is walking in the light. It's not what your brother or sister tells you or what the sevil, Satan accuses you of. Faith is based on are you walking with God or are you not walking with God? But here's the concept I want to give to you as we talk about light. One of the things that John tells us about God in 1 John, the first chapter and verse 5 is, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If I could ever let you see that. God does not have a dark side. See, your faith in God has to somehow go to the place to realize that in whether you call it theodicy, how you deal with the hurt and the problems, you can understand what has gone wrong in your life and how you deserved it. Maybe you didn't deserve it and yet it's dumped on you. I'm here to tell you that when God, there's not a dark side. When I study the other religions, I study Hinduism, there's Vishnu and then there's uh, Shina or whatever, Shiva. The other side, is there's a destroyer and there's the, the, on the other side there is the Savior. There is always a dark side and a light side, but in God... And the perfect trinity, there is not a dark side. 
God doesn't keep dark thoughts. He is not persecuting you. Can I, I wish I had the pictures again of Wipeout. Remember when I put them up on the board? God is not challenge you to a test. He's not going to say, see if you can do this and then you're going to get to heaven. I want to tell you there is not a dark side in God. If there's some darkness in this world, if there's some evil that's destroying you, let it be known that when you come to God in faith, you must know that God does not have a dark side and that's not a part of who God is. Do you understand how that helps you have faith to believe? This relational thing that God wants to have in our lives is all based on this, is that we have so much confidence. People let us down all the time. Is that not right? In our relationships, it's hard for us as in the human race because people have so destroyed us. They have cheated on us. They've done everything possible. You know they let you down here. They let you down there. And it's hard for us to understand how much God isn't like that. He's not changing the rules on you. Tom grew up in a Western Methodist church really on the strict side. And he used to be, he was a poster child when he went to church. You know, that he would be at every revival meeting, sitting on the front seat, and the evangelist would say, this family right here, and I'm not going to tell the family's name. Look at this fine family. They're here every night, and the children are perfectly behaved. But Tom tells a different story. When he was at home, his father would say, if you'll wash the dishes... And you do a good job, I'm going to pay you for them. And they would work real hard and they'd wash the dishes. And after the dishes were done, they would go over and they would find, he would find one dirty piece of, of, of plate or something or he'd find a spot on a spoon. Every time he would find something wrong. And Tom said, I thought that when I get to heaven, God's going to say, you did a really good job, but right here there's that one place. I'm going to tell you that you don't have to worry where you are with God. God will be honest with you and he will tell you who you are and where you're wrong. If you'll seek God, if you'll be open, God's going to be open with you. You don't have to worry about getting to heaven and wondering if you're going to get in because if you love God, God's going to get you in there. There's not a dark side of God. See, faith, this believism, must be based on that, that God is not playing games with you. Then it brings me to one of my favorite things in John where he tells us how to pray, how to believe. He, we confess our sins to him. And let me tell you, you don't believe you have some sins. Listen, I have some things in my life and you have some things. I'm a Wesleyan. I believe that there are some things in my life I need to work on. I can give it a righteous definition. Or I can give it an actual definition. But I've got stuff and you've got stuff and you need to be confessing it to Jesus Christ. Amen? We'll just call it stuff. That way you won't have to call it anything else. But he says if, you're, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all wickedness. The picture is that if you go honestly before God and you're honest with God, there's things that you don't even know about in your life that God goes beyond that and he begins to cleanse you. The reason why you are made perfect in Christ Jesus is not that you are perfect, but because his blood cleanses you and you walk in the light, that blood continually cleanses you all the way to heaven. The atonement is active in your life. You're under the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been made whole day in and day out as God's presence and His, His abiding love rests in you. You see the picture. Let's talk about that. Because you see, one of the best episodes on TV, everybody has it, fathers who aren't faithful, right? They didn't come to the ball game. They didn't go to the recital. 
We're in it every place in life, people who have broken their promises to you. I want to say, first of all, God is faithful. He keeps his word and promises to everyone. You're not going to go this life and walk with him and ever have to worry about whether God's going to keep his promise to you. He's going to keep them. Human relations may not happen that way, but God always keeps his promise. He's faithful. Secondly, God is just. I say this to you. God is fair. God never changes the rules for anyone. You've been there, haven't you? Rules at work. The big big baba thing, you know, who, who is in and who's out or how they pass promotions. How many of you have come to some place in your life that you felt like God was unfair, not God, but the world was unfair to you? Listen, I want to tell you something. The world isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Get it. I mean, if, you, if this is your problem, get on the boat. Everybody else is there. Life is not fair to anybody. But that doesn't mean God is not just and fair. Let me, let me talk to you about that for a minute. See, what happens sometimes is we, we begin to so relate in life that we don't think that God, yeah, in life, is God will change the rules when it comes to us. And that's not the way it is. Sherry was, was a special person in our early ministry. Susan will know who I'm talking about. She was a foster child, didn't know who her father was. Her mother was a prostitute, very, very seldom saw her, grew up in a foster care home. And in that foster care home, you see, there was two sets of rules. Sets, there was a set of rules for the children of the natural birth, and there was the fo- rules for the foster children. And see, sometimes we get in life where we kind of think that there's two sets of rules. There's a few people chosen, the rest are going to not have the same rules. I want you to know the rules is for everyone this morning. God is not going to change the game just because you came along. God is faithful and he is just. He's going to do exactly what he says and he's not going to change the rules when you come along. Okay? You, got, you know what I'm talking about. You're in school that certain kids get treated different than other kids. Everything in life. But I'm going to tell you, or even in, within a family and the children, the children sometimes think parents are not fair. But let me, let me tell you this morning, there's one person that's going to be the same to you no matter what. Well, Sherry really had a lot of problems. She... She went on as a teenager, had a baby before being married and had a special needs child. She always has blamed it on because there was too many drugs being taken at the time of having, carrying the child. And now she wants to become a Christian. She sees the other from, from the families, the kids go off to Bible college, and she's longing to go. And she's looking at her life, and she says, life has not been fair. What am I going to do with my life? I want to tell you one of the most precious things is when Sherry found out that God loves her just as much as those other kids. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you and he will fulfill everything that he's promised. When I was in pastoral education just this last year, uh, one of the things they asked us to do is to bring a story that changed our lives or made an impact. What informs us from something that happened in our family that now informs even our theology today? And I always go to this story. It's one of those stories. I am here this morning because of a saintly father who did not only know how to punish his children, but he knew how to love them to Jesus Christ. In our house, we were radical family. We were one of those radical families, you know, but back in those days, I don't know, 
I'm always kind of fearful of talking about some of this stuff because you might think it's too brutal. But my father really believed that if you broke the rules that he was going to punish you. And you knew what the punishment was and he had a belt. And it's a lot bigger than the one I'm wearing this morning. I think sometimes, I think that he had a spatial belt made. I, I really do. I mean, it was thick, it was heavy. And, and, and we knew that if we broke the rules that we were going to have the punishment. Well, and a little holiness kid and a little preacher's kid, you know, we don't, sometimes rebellion is kind of small, but with me, it was going out there and smoking cigarettes. You know, I, I was a big guy sneaking around. How <laughs> stupid. Isn't that stupid to some of you? But, but way I knew that if I would got caught and I got caught smoking cigarettes, that I was going to get a punishment. I remember coming home and, I, and it was told, someone had told on me, and there I go into the house, and everything is kind of silent. I'm 14 years old at this time, and my, fa- my parents tell me to go up to my room. My father never whipped me when he was angry. Okay, I want to make that clear. But I knew the judgment was coming. But see, I never knew why they gave us 30 minutes up there. You know... Now, first, the first thing you're thinking, I'm up there. I am suffering. I wish let's get this punch. Well, he actually comes to me and then he talks to me 30 minutes, and then he gives me this, the whipping, you know. But that 30 minutes, I never knew that because that gives you a chance to put on two more pairs of pants. You never throw away a wallet because you put a wallet in both pockets, right? I'm sorry. Let me reminisce back to my childhood days. But this day was different. I was 14 years old. And I was full of rebellion, and I said, I am not going to let my father whip me today. And I was ready. He sat down and he talked to me, and I'm thinking, Dad, just get to this, because today you're not going to whip me. Now, I'll never forget that. You know, as he takes that belt out, and he's going to say what you, you hear parents say, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, you know? I'm all ready for that. But his father, my father takes the belt out. He says, Floyd, you're 14 years old. I can't, make, I can't run your life all of your life. Today I'm taking your whipping. And he hands me that belt. My rebellion is gone. It isn't that I didn't deserve the whipping. It's not that you don't deserve to be punished for your sins. God said, I'm going to take it for you. I don't know who is here this morning that you just need to know that this is a special privilege that God has given you, that He is taking your punishment for you this morning. For God so loved the world that if you'll just believe this, if you understand these qualities about God, that He will save you, He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Returning back to the shack, Paul Young talks about going there. The shack represents the place of the deepest pain. The shack represents the place where there's shame in his life. And he's got the invitation back in this modern pilgrim's progress, the journey of faith of someone who is, who is just burnt out. And as he comes to the shack, Papa meets him and invites him into the kitchen. And the purpose for going in the kitchen is to be loved on for a little while. The reason why you're at Windover Hills this morning, I believe, is that God wants to love on you for a little while. You're here. I don't know where, what's been happening in your life, and I don't know where you are, but it's not enough just to come here this morning. Somehow you need to, as we sung about it, 
thank you, team. You did such a wonderful worship experience. I, I was thinking about it all the way through. God is wanting to love on you this morning. He wants you to know He loves you. You can believe in a relationship like this. You can believe in someone who is always going to be fair. He's always going to be just. He's always going to carry through His promises. And He will not change. And He does not have a bad side. He doesn't have a corrupt side. He's there and He loves you this morning. What about it this morning? Who this morning, you're going to just give up holding your grudges, blaming God, questioning God, and understand that God has brought you here this morning to love on you. I want us to pray together. Oh God, Oh, it's shameful moments in our lives. We don't know who's here this morning. But we ask that you rescue them. That you would just reveal your love. Let them bask in it. Let them feel it this morning like they've never felt it before. Let their knowledge grasp that you are who you said you are and that when you came, you were demonstrating the fact that you were doing everything to save them. And right now, Jesus, we pray in your name. And if you're this morning, you just want to turn it over to God, would you just pray in your heart with me? Jesus, forgive me. You know how rotten I am. You know all those things in my life and I don't deserve it. I deserve the punishment. But we're here this morning asking, asking that you will come and fill us. Lord, may your love change us. And we believe on you right now, Lord. We accept what you've said in the scriptures. And we stand on it this morning. We believe in your name. Come into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, be sure to put that.